It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Today, my guest is Kevin Spiritus. He's an actor and producer, and he's the co-creator of a new web series called After Forever. He also stars in it, along with Mitchell Anderson. And uh, it just went live yesterday up online, so uh, we talk all about that. Uh, but before we get to the interview, I want to get a plug-in for Livecast. It's my side hustle business where... People hire me to interview them about their lives. We want to save those milestones. Um, I got an email a couple days ago, kind of bummed me out. Um, someone was going to have me interview their father-in-law because, um, uh, you know, their folks are getting up there. And uh, we're trying to schedule it and things kept coming up. And then I, I reached out recently and, and she said we may have sort of missed the window, if you will. So I uh, that bums me out because I want to be able to help people capture these things. So, um if you're interested, check out getalifecast.com, and uh, it's not that painful. You just um, basically hang out and talk for a while, and I put it all together in an audio file that you can share with loved ones. I put music in there. It's it's um, for the amount of memories and stuff that you capture and the spirit of it. It's a um, it's a good return on an investment in terms of time and money. So check it out at getalifecast.com. Um, I've really loved doing the ones that I've done so far. And I hope I can help you save your story as well. So, without any further ado, here is the interview. This is Kevin Spiritus. Hey there, I'm coming to you from the very charming San Fernando Valley home of Kevin Spiritus, our guest today. I love it. It's so much. There's so much sun coming in. It's light. It's a beautiful it's Saturday in in, uh, in L.A. Yeah. Uh, so you're an actor. You're also a producer, mm-hmm. and you're one of the co-creators of this new web series called After Forever. After Forever, the series. Yes. Congratulations. I saw it at a screening. <clears throat> yeah. Really enjoyed it. It was a fun night. Everyone was buzzing. How, was, how did you feel about that night? Well, first of all, it rained. Yeah. Not good. Right. Because people in L.A. do not go out in the rain. Right. But... Um, Everyone seemed <clears throat> to be there for you. They were there. They were there. Um, you know, we had had the screening in New York uh, three days prior. Right. And I kind of knew the outcome of how people were reacting to it, but it was really great being here in my, in my turf, on my turf, uh, here in LA for 26 years now, and it's, it was magic. I love it. There was so much love in the room, mm. and people were into it. Did you like the story? I did. Yeah. It was, it was something to think about, like, what, what, if, what would it be like, uh, to, to have, to have it all and lose it, in yeah. a way. Well, so, that's it, it, give us a little, how do you explain the, the um, story? After, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> After Forever is a, um, a story about two gay men in a relationship, Jason and Brian, who have everything that was supposed to last forever until one day it didn't. And right. uh, it's a way that these people and their friends have to navigate through uh, life, love and loss and, and starting over again. And I think it's... You know, it's not just a gay story. It's something about uh, where we are in our second or third act of life. Right. And, <clears throat> and I really, I, I don't see a lot of characters out there like that uh, being written about, being talked about. And I think, most importantly, Michael Slade, my writing partner, and I, we wanted to give light to, um, it's not just the young 20s and 30s uh, in the right. community or the 80-year-old. All of a sudden, they disappear, and then they're 80 years old. So right. that was kind of how we wanted to, you know, zhuzh it up a bit. How did it first come to be? What was the, <laughs> the uh, impetus? Mm. Well, I had actually moved to New York for a few years. And I, um, I was 
working out at the gym, and on June 1st, 2014, uh, I hear a man's voice behind me at the gym say, are you Kevin Spiritus? And I said, yes, I am. Who are you? And he said, I'm Michael Slade. I don't know if you would remember me or not because I think our paths were crossing, but when you were being written off of Days of Our Lives, I was brought on as a writer just at the tail end of your, your contract. He was brought in to kill you or yeah, to, no, make, actually, to make yeah, you go away? Yeah, it's his fault. Yeah. No, um, but uh, he actually uh, was brought in as a staff writer. And um, I said... I think I remember the name on the, the script, because you always see the names of the writers. And um, I don't know why. I don't know what possessed me. I had been thinking about doing a series or wanting to write a series and create something on the Internet, because that's what you do now. You create content. And for people who don't see something coming down the pike with their name on it, especially you want to create something. I do, anyway. Right. And um, I wanted to act, and I wanted to have some fun. And... All my friends were making these web series, and I said, hey, you want to write a web series? And he goes, no, no. You said that to him on I the said, first I time just, you met him. I did, because I said, in my, in my mind, the, the quiet voice said, this is a writer who has experience, and he's got the muscle to arc story and character development, and just, he'll know what to do. And if I can just get someone to write with me, you know, that was sort of like, and he really didn't want to grab it. And I said, no, 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 you got you to hear this. Gay man in his 50s going back out into the world because he's single and he's got a date again. Where's he going to find love? And he just sort of went, okay, we should maybe talk. And um, a few weeks later, we had really come up with an idea of how we would present my story because he was actually working, he was thinking about something else too, another story in that same, on the same category, but different. And we kind of put our two stories together, and we got Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. There you go. No, no. No. <laughs> is he based here, or is he in New York? He's in New York. How did the process work of writing it? Did you sit down together? This is very funny. Um, we There's a couple of events that happen, and I, I can't really talk about it because it gives away the show, obviously. And you know what happens in the series. Right. But something uh, personal happens in the, in the show, and we kind of looked at how that could become part of the show. And um, uh, we talked about... Uh, why would a character be single and why would he be left, you know, why was he alone? Is it choice? Is it, is it, is it a circumstance? And then suddenly something fell into place and we just, the story and the, and the outline wrote themselves. We had the characters, we knew what we wanted to talk about, we, wanted, we knew who our friends were going to be, our parents, our sisters, and um, I, I, was, I, I was like, we're going to write this, aren't we? And he said, yeah, we're, we're writing it. We even had stuff. So it, It's an eight-episode series. Right. This first, this first season. The first season. And uh, it's short form. So each, each episode, I think, uh, it runs about seven to ten minutes each one. Sure. So um, anyway, we, had, uh, we decided we were going to put only so much into this first season. And there's a lot left over for season two. There you go. So when you guys were actually writing the script, were you in separate places? Or? Uh, actually, um, Michael, because he's such a genius wordsmith, um, I said, so now we've got the outline and we're done with this. Now what? Do I come here tomorrow and, and you dictate exterior? You know, to, right. You know, he said, let me, why don't I try a pass at this? And in three days, he turned around and he delivered the first episode. That's yeah. awesome. And it was 
It was beautiful. And I remember... The three days from when you just bumped into him and you'd never met him before. No, 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 no. Three days after so we had, had the, oh, created gotcha. the outlines and... and gotcha. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we, we meticulously went through outline after outline and how this person goes here and then it, that person will come back right. in episode six or whatever. And, um, but three days after we had just completed that, um, he popped out this incredible first episode and I knew, I knew right then that it's just, it's, it's going to happen. And I love it. It did. Um, as a as an actor, when you're working on this, are you like, you know what? Can we write a scene where I get to do this? Or that? <laughs> or, you know, are you you kind of got an eye on what you want to do as an actor? <clears throat> what would be fun or challenging or meaty? Yeah, I, t- I told I told Michael when we were when we started off. I said, um, you know, I tend to get the uh, the over the top buffoon roles, like the goofy role, because I can be really goofy. And I can, I can, you know, muck it up. And there's also the, the very slick, very, you know, gangster type, you know, a bad guy. And um, I, sometimes play, I sometimes play the heavy more than I'd like to. Um, but I just wanted to have a part, a role that I could just sort of like, it's like, right? It's me. It's like I put on a, a shirt and pants and I go into the set and it's still me. I don't have to put anything on. I right. I have to layer a character. No. There are things that I wanted to... I just wanted to play the hero once. I wanted to have my heart broken. I wanted to have my heart mend. I wanted to have opportunity to play. and You want to do the ugly cry? Oh, there's a lot of ugly cry in this series. <laughs> Isn't there? There's a bit. I know. It's good. Yeah, there's a lot of ugly cry. But I think it was therapeutic, too, in a, in a sense. And, um, you know, I, I, very early on, uh, I said to Michael... Who do you see playing Jason? Because I have someone in mind, and he said, "Who?" And I, you know, my producer hats on, thinking, you know, we'll get someone who can, you know, make a splash or you know, be a name. And and then there's Mitchell Anderson, who is a friend of mine for over thirty years now, who moved away from Los Angeles, kind of retired from acting, and went to Atlanta to do um, to uh, open a restaurant called Metro Fresh. Metro Fresh, Atlanta, Georgia. Very good. Um, it's a great name. It's a great food. It's great food. Great food. He cooks it all. So, um, but I, I said, I think Mitchell Anderson should play this role. And he said, Well, you know, he's not. I said, No, no, no. This is going to be the thing that brings him out of retirement, and he'll be working for the rest of his life. Uh, he's so good in that show. He's very good. It was so nice to see him again. Yeah. And well, how did he react when you pitched it to him? <laughs> was he like, um, uh, Yeah, Kevin? Nesson. I said, I got a little series that I've written. And I want you to be my leading man. And he said, oh, that's cute. That's cute. Uh, you know, Kevin, it's not, I'm, you know, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm working. I'm at a restaurant. I said, just read it. Just read it. And he read it. And he called me back in two days and said, when do we start? I love it. Yeah. It was, what was it like to sort of develop the rapport between you that, that kind of carries over into the, the characters that are clearly in love, clearly very comfortable with each other? We didn't have to work on anything. I mean, that's, I, that's why I wanted him. I, first of all, he's a talented, talented actor. He's he's beautiful man. Um, we're in our 50s, and it's really extraordinary. You know, we're here, and we are still part of this culture. And I just didn't want to have to worry about, you know, I don't know, balancing my, my, my moves and my reaches and touches and, and holding of a person, and kissing especially, of a person who I didn't know or wasn't comfortable with. And Mitchell and I had never kissed up until the first scene of the, that show, but 
Um, uh, I just wanted someone who I felt comfortable for those 12 days because you're going to jump in. And we all just jumped in. Right. And that was, that was easy. How did you get it made? How did you find the financing and the team and like, what was that process like? Mm, uh, well, about six years ago uh, in New York, I was brought on to a couple of uh, Broadway shows as a producer. Nice. Uh, to raise money, to learn how to learn how to raise money. Basically, uh, the trick I was told was, um, I was mentored and said, um, you know, the way you get money is not by asking for money. You're asking them to invest in your vision. And quite honestly, that's, that's something that I've really taken to heart because if you want something, your vision of it is all you can right. hold on to. And if you jump cut to now the end of the series uh, for um, season one, Everything on that screen, Michael and I keep pinching ourselves. We cannot believe that that was our movie, our, our series. It's really something else. So I have a lot of, I know a lot of people who love the arts and who like to uh, see me working in the arts. And I don't know, it just sort of like I found my way to raising um, $100,000. That's fantastic. A lot of money and a lot of responsibility. And um, there were days I wanted to hang it all up and there were days that I wanted to um, uh, just celebrate like the money would just come in at the right moment what was was there a low point where you're like uh, how do we recover from this well we didn't go over budget yeah and we didn't we didn't uh, there was a moment when we almost didn't start we almost didn't start we had to have our bond and we had to have SAG's bond and everything lined up and you know my dad tells the story of uh, when his father died my dad was 21, and my dad's father, my grandfather, was a, a scrap man. And my dad said he never really knew his dad until the morning after his father had passed, and he had to get into that truck and drive around the city and sell scrap. And he says that, you know, there's a moment where he put his hands on the steering wheel, and he said, that's when I knew my dad. And I thought it was so profound, because... You're, you're then in that person's shoes. You're in that person's yeah. car. And I just thought it was beautiful. And when I grew up, my dad would be like, you know, um, at the dinner table on the phone, I have the money here and you do this and then that, that job has got to be this. And it's like all this like business stuff, business stuff at the dinner table. And I'm like, oh, this is, ah. And then there was a moment in the series where uh, before we started shooting and I did not have the money. Someone had pulled out and I just went, this is what my dad dealt with for years. What was the business? I dem- I demol- demolition. Right on. So I just, um, it was, I remember that story and I, I called him. I said, Dad, I put my hands on your steering wheel and you're still alive. So it's a really cool thing. And, you know, he talked me down and he said, you know, you do this and don't worry. People are going to, they're going to do this all the time. And so um, I got through it. I got through it. What did you learn about this idea that if you commit and take a leap that, the universe will meet you halfway or things will come your way. Did you experience that kind of feeling? Well, I kind of live that way anyway, so... I mean, I, I, mean, I do, I do. It's so good, though. I do, it's I so do. Good to I, do I, that. I, I, hate, I hate to be like, you know, oh, of course. I mean, look at my banner. You know, gratitude. It's just, it's, there it's, you um, go. He has a banner that says gratitude. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, you know, you and I work with a lot of the same people and we are coached to do a lot of... Uh, different things in our lives and I just know that um, 
you can't sweat the small stuff. And who wants to listen to that crap? And, uh, you know, why complain about it? And I just think that, you know, like attracts like. And, and sometimes the like is not the like. <laughs> and you're like, why am I stuck with this experience? But I can't, I, I can't imagine... I can't imagine having done this now the way we did it any other way except by showing up, uh, being excited about a, a possibility of expression, you know, being able to express ourselves and tell a story. And um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm so excited for people to see this because it, you don't know what to expect. And um, our friend uh, Barbara Bonds came up to me and said, um, Kevin, I, I, I knew you'd have a good series, but I, this was surprisingly awesome. And I mean, that's my favorite review. Yeah. She was so... Surprise, put that on the poster. Surprisingly, surprisingly awesome. awesome. Barbara Bonds. What was it like to shoot in New York? That was cool. That was cool because, you know, we, we, um, we shot in Central Park. We, we shot... Um, I have a very dear friend named Laura Barquette, and she donated her house, her five-story townhouse for us to use. In Manhattan? In Manhattan, Upper East Side. Wow. We had some friends who uh, favored You can us. shoot so many locations in the same You house. have no idea. Like, basically... It's basically every interior in the, in the, mini, <laughs> you the same room. house. Uh, most of it is. Most of That's it is. That's incredible. Um, you know, uh, Riley's uh, bedroom uh, is up, of another house, but it's upstairs. And um, the... Where is it? The... Um, the bread and be- the bed and breakfast where um, Jason and Brian are there with their tuxedos on, and that's another room upstairs. Oh, but the kitchen and the living room, and the dining room, it's all it's all there. And, oh, even our, our our Lower East Side Club, yeah, was that patio out there. I mean, nice. You didn't even know that, did you? No. Yeah. It felt like an East Side Club. It did. It, it was very East Sidey. Very what was it like to cast the other actors? Were they a lot of people that you'd worked with before, or friends of yours? Yeah. Did you audition anyone? Uh, we auditioned for the role of, of um, Riley, I think, uh, the child. The, the, the kid, he's Finn, great. Finn Douglas, he's amazing. Um, uh, I wasn't there for the auditions, but they sent me the tapes. And I, you know, we, we had our idea of, we had a lineup of people that we were working with. And we had done a reading as well about a, a year prior. And that was to help get money and help raise uh, awareness of this project and... I mean, everyone pretty much who we wanted was there to say, yes, we'll do it. So it's friends of ours. Um, uh, but someone fell out because they got a Broadway show, so we went to another person. Michael and I are very, very clear that from the beginning, as I said, everything just keeps working itself out on the show. Our cast, those parts were meant for these people. Bar not, they were that, those were the roles for those people. Right. You couldn't take more. Michael Yuri pops up. Michael Yuri pops up. Nice he's, to see him. He's so great. I, I, you know, he's not a real friend friend. He's just an acquaintance friend, a business friend. Right. And I've always been a fan of his. And I've been running into him more and more. And I've been seeing a lot of his shows um, that he was doing in New York. And I thought to myself, would you read this uh, story and think about maybe doing this role? He's only in two episodes. I know, I thought it might pop up more. I thought there might be a romance between your characters. I don't know what's coming up season two and three, but I would think that um, I would want Mr. Geary to come back. Right. I would want Mr. Geary to come back. Um, So you've already started thinking you'd like to do another season? Oh, I'd like to do ten more seasons. No. Um, There's there's, there's two and three that are mapped out. Yeah. Um, Let's see where it goes. I'm going to see what happens to it. I, I just wanted... 
I just want to do good work and I want to do it with creative people that I love working with. I mean, that's really, that's what gets me going. What did you learn from the experience of producing it? You know, when I was a kid and I would watch shows like Johnny Carson, The Tonight Show, or, you know, Mike Douglas. Right. All these talk shows. And, I mean, I was like five or seven or ten different times throughout this um, series. And I remember someone like Michael Douglas coming on and they would say, yes, Michael Douglas is an actor, but he just produced this, you know. And because I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, so detached from this L.A., right. you know, the Hollywood biz, I didn't know anything. I just was like, oh, see, I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to be a star. And I wanna, I'll produce one day and then I'll direct and then I'll... You just... I went to that place. Like, it's just going to happen. It just kind of happened. That's how I kind of, like, look at it. I, I wanted to produce something that I would be my own work in at some point. And I had such ease because there was no one breathing down my shoulder going, uh, time. You know, we, we got right. one more, you know, one more shot. We're losing light. Um, and those things came up, but we just dealt with it. We just kept dealing with it. Things easily. Boom, boom, boom. The rain. Okay, move over to this set. Okay. Right. It, I don't know. It was... I have about, well, it's one of those questions, I think, but I, I have about three or four projects that I remember the moment I got them, and the moment we did them, and then the whole run of it was so unique and special that you just can't touch it. That was a chorus line when I was a kid. At 18 years old, I knocked on the stage door at the Schubert Theater, and I said, I hear you're having an audition, and I want to be in your show, and if you think I'm right for any of the roles, call me. Not equity, but call me. And they did. And I auditioned. That's incredible. You just knocked on the door and said, hey, which part did you play? Mike Costa. I can do that. I can do that. Mm -hmm. So you've got, I know you were a singer, but you've got the dancing thing in it. Yeah, a little dancing. I don't dance so much anymore. But you have to dance if you're a chorus line. You probably danced your ass off. I did dance my ass off. I danced and danced. Yeah. Um, When were you in chorus line? 1982. To, no, 1981 to 82. So it's about a year and a half. And I took that, I traveled that tour all the way out to LA, and that's how I got here. That's how you ended up in LA. And then I went back to do it on Broadway about a year before it closed. Did you, were you living the dream to be that young and be <laughs> on Broadway? Um, yeah, I guess I, I mean, I didn't think about it like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I'm, I'm living the dream now. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I don't know, there's something about. When I was on, when I got the soap, uh, Days of Our Lives, it was not because I had auditioned for it. Uh, Fran Bascom, uh, who was the casting director at that time, she brought me in on a two-day role, and she just said, do what you want with it. And I did. I pretended I was, like, on a set that needed me to, I don't know, it was just, it happened. And then eight months later, they called me back and said, that role you did, we're going to bring him on. Seven years. Wow. That was so he wasn't envisioned originally as a character that would be there. No, he was actually, um, I kind of went in and, and apparently Tom Langan called Graham Bascom that night and said, uh, Tom Langan was our executive producer at the time, he said, I don't know where you found this kid, but I, I, I think I have an idea for him. And she didn't tell me that until way, way after. Right. Um, I had been cast eight months later. But she said, he just, he saw something and he thought of a storyline that would spin off and I just was, because I was, that was a low point. That was a low point in my, in my career because I could not get arrested. I, right before you got that Yeah, call. it was very dark. The, it was very dark. Um, what is it? The dark, uh, it's always the darkest before the light. And I was 
I was waiting tables again. I was, um, I was uh, assisting furniture designers. I was doing everything. And um, boy, I just remember, okay, two days on a soap. Great. Let's do it. Let's do it. And again, it was, it's, I was in that middle of the road, too old to play young, too young to be older. I'm really not, you know, I don't look like someone's dad quite that much, I think. I don't know. But then they gave me a daughter in the show who looks like Brooke Shields. And she's like, she's like, ta-da. And I'm like, this is my daughter. She looks like she could be my date, you know. Yeah. But um, it was just, um, so that was a low point. And then, you know, magic happens. You start to look at your life and you go, I'm just going to create something and I want it to happen. It happens. Wow, I mean, that's, that's awesome. How, you, have to, you have to. My last course line question, how did Mike stand in the lineup? <laughs> oh, God, how do you stand? Do you remember? Yeah, I do. You I have do. to nail it, right? Yeah, I mean... He's demonstrating. I'm demonstrating. Um, okay. Um, I'm leaning... I'm, I'm, You're my leaning right onto leg, the right My right leg is, is solid straight up to my right side, and I'm kind of leaning... And in, your hands are in the back. And hands are clasped in back, and their left leg is up it just isn't a, out, out just a little, a little. Out in front of me a little bit bent. It's kind of like Angelina Jolie at the Oscars the year she stuck her leg out. A kind little of, bit. Kind of, but um, I'm not wearing black. That's true. It's a modified Angelina. <laughs> We've just gone to yeah. Angelina Jolie. Thank so you. you did Days of Our Lives and One Life to Live. Which came first? Uh, Days of Our Lives. Days of Our Lives. Mm-hmm. I love it. Days you played Dr. Craig Wesley. Craig, what a great doctor name. Dr. Craig Wesley. What's the craziest thing you had to... What's the craziest storyline you had to play? Um, well... <laughs> Did you have amnesia? No, no. I'm... I, you know... Do you know who Patricia Darbo is? Yeah. Okay, so Patricia Darbo was brought on as my right. wife. Right, you guys were together, yeah. Yeah, she was brought on as my wife, and... She was became, at your screening. She was, she was, and she was great. She just, she gave me all her love. She said, this, this thing just made me cry. Okay, and there's a lot of sex in there. I had to close my eyes. There's not that much sex, really, but we're naked a little bit. Yeah. Uh, mm. On the soap, Patricia was cast as my wife, and she is... She's not your typical soap actress. She, uh, at the time, was um, a woman who was a little bit heavier, a little bit more zoftic. And she was, uh, um, uh, people would come up to me and go, you can't be with her. I said, why can't I be with her? Oh, you don't like her? No, you, you, you need to be with someone, you know, a little thinner. And I'd say, you know, I don't know if that's the way you look at your life, but um, I love her just the same as an actress. She can be any size she wants. And that's the feeling... We, we just kind of jumped in, and we became the, po- the most popular non-conventional couple ever. And we just got all this attention, and um, uh, people screamed for us, and, and she, and Patricia's crazy. I love you, Patricia, but you're crazy, and fun, and wild, and um, she will take a dare, and she will give a dare. And right. I would take that, and I would give that, and we would just, we were zany on that show. We would be, um, you know, these, like... Um, uh, Dudley do right, uh, not Dudley. Um, uh, uh, Snidely Whiplash characters. And right. We'd say we're going to get Nurse Alley and we're going to put him with Mike and we're going to make a thing happen. I don't know. Some some affair is going to be blown up in someone's face and they're going to lose their jobs. We were just terrible people. So you were sort of connivers together. We were total connivers. I was totally Eddie Haskell. That that's more like it. And I was right. like, just oh, hello, Mrs. Cleaver. How are you? You know. <laughs> right. Um, Meanwhile, you're just throwing up all kinds yeah. of shit. So, um, yeah, we were definitely shitsters. And we had a storyline where we were taking Nurse Alley across the country 
through Vegas to get to see Mike. Um, uh, oh my God, I can't believe it. Mike is the character. He's still the character. That's the family name. <gasps> anyway, uh, Mike. <laughs> and, um, uh, Mike was in love with Carrie, and we couldn't. We had to break them up to make because right. I was going to get the chief of staff position, of course. And um, they wrote one of the craziest. I mean, we were going through garbage chutes into dumpsters, rolling into sand, into dirt, into jail, sneaking out of jail, tiptoeing on a rooftop. I mean, uh, sleeping in bed together, all three of us, hug, you know, snuggled. Together. It was just crazy, 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 crazy. And Nurse Alley was. All along, she was like losing her mind. You were driving her crazy. Mike, it's the name of the family. It will come to you yeah. later. You see how important that is. There you go. When you do soaps, do you learn to memorize quick? I did. Yeah. I did. It seems like you it's have a to. Muscle. It's a muscle. Yeah. You know, and I think um, it, it saved me a hell of a lot of time for this because actually having written it, it was just in me. You right. Know, um, there was a couple of things I was like, I better check those words but I think um yeah I uh, I remember I was um I went to after Days of Our Lives ended Mike Horton Mike Horton there you go there you go he was Horton um my uh after Dr. Craig Wesley was written off Days of Our Lives and he went to answer a phone call never came back um is that what happened that's what happened so did you know in advance that you were I you know how do you find out you you, you usually you smell it you see the writing on the wall. You see the your your options coming up, or your contracts coming to an end, and storylines not moving anywhere. And um, I had been told that the show I was doing could possibly be my last show because I had friends, friends in the writing office. I got you. So you supposed to have that, right? So you um, had an you had a little. I had a little channel, in, a little spy back channel, back channel, and um, I I just sort of knew. That was going to be the last time I was going to be in that set. So, right after that, I went to New York and I auditioned for a couple of musicals. One of them being The Boy from Oz, which starred Hugh Jackman. Yes, I saw it in New York, and I remember vividly a loving the show, and then coming outside afterwards, and this blizzard had happened. So (laughs) there was like six inches of snow that wasn't there when we started the show, (coughs) and it was like post-apocalyptic walking around, but in a kind of wonderful way. Everything was quiet. I remember that. I remember that. Day, yeah. Or that time. I remember there was a huge... I said, I'm going to go home now. Right. Um, anyway, I stood by for Hugh Jackman. For you were... Entire you, year. Yes. And um, in the beginning, they had already been in rehearsals when I was cast. I was cast late. But they had to do it for legal purposes of contracts and understudies and equity and blah, blah, blah. And I'll never forget <laughs> Patrick Vacriella. He was our musical director. And we were... Um, we were just finished with the full rehearsals. Uh, we were going to start previews maybe in three days. And he says to me, now I had been there maybe a week. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm basically given a script and I'm just sort of like following. They know everything. I'm watching people on the stage. I'm making my notes on the script. I'm just following Hugh. And uh, Patrick says, so um, you ready to go on? <laughs> I just did this laugh, like, what? what? He says, are you ready to go on? Oh, yeah, he's going to go out. He'll go out right at the end of previews, right before opening. They always do. All, all my stars. Michael, um, Michael Crawford, Bernadette Peters. Uh, he just named a whole list of these shows he worked on. And I, I, 
I go, oh, oh, okay. And I went home that night and I threw that script into my brain. I was so nervous that he was going to miss a show. And that was the thing that propelled me to locking that show in and making sure that I knew everything, every minute, every, every step, every song, every note, a lyric, um, every bit of the accent and, um, he never missed a bloody show. <laughs> he never missed a bloody no. show. <laughs> He's a great guy, though. He's t- I just saw him the other day. I saw him uh, at, a, at a screening of um, The Greatest Showman, which he is. And um, it was just, he, Mike, how are you? You said, what are you doing? So, there you go. What's your favorite Hugh Jackman memory? Um, well, I watched him for a year. And I, I, I just learned so much from watching him on stage and I he he had no fear of making a mistake and if he did you never saw it you never felt it and you never smelled it and I watched things happen on stage like a wheel would fall off a part of the thing and he'd just stop he said wait 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 this is not supposed to happen uh hold on a second um and it was okay in front of the audience it was okay yeah. Um, he'd go up on a line you know some people would come into the audience late after uh, the opening number and he'd say oh so were you looking for parking and he'd you know indicate like they'd been drinking or something right um, and he'd start talking with them and um, all of a sudden you get past that moment that oh I'm supposed to be back in the show and you think about it and you go wait what's, what's the next line I mean I, I would be watching and I'd throw out a line for him he goes oh this Kevin he's a great guy you know um, more about him later and he would just go on and it was amazing. That, Do you that, feel like if you had gotten on to go on? Oh, he would have never gone on again. Would you have yeah. done what he do, did in those? Would you have felt liberated enough to do what he did, or is it more like you know what? I I think I'm the, just gonna stick with the, no 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 the, he, the liberation of those of those moments was um, they were written into the script. I oh mean, okay. He was supposed to talk with the audience. It's Got Peter it. Allen talking. Right. To the All right, right. Right. So it's Peter Allen. He's uh, playing that character, but. Um, I probably would have just gone on, you know, making sure, God, don't mess up. Don't right. Mess you up. had to, you had that's your responsibility. Your you know, you, whoever you're understudying or whoever you're standing by for, you're supposed to, you're that pawn that they put into the spot that's no longer uh, being occupied. Well, what's it like to understudy somebody? People went to that show to see Hugh Jackman. Right. Well, that was what is, it was all about. This is, this is, this is my favorite moment with you. Right. Um, it was clear that this was called the Hugh Jackman story. It was, right. it was his show. It was his right. show. He was a force of, 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 of just amazing on stage. And um, it's too bad that, um, I mean, the CD is great, but you, you just don't get what he was doing on stage. So um, I watched him, and I learned, and then I would get ready. We'd have understudy rehearsals, and it was really extraordinary. Um, uh, People were very happy with my performance during the understudy rehearsals, and uh, I felt like I really had the character under my skin, under my belt. And um, there was a time coming where Hugh was going to take vacation, and we all knew that that was coming up, but they hadn't really announced it yet. And um, they, the day before they announced the vacation, they called me and two other I was a standby so a standby is off stage you're literally there every night I'm there every night off stage an understudy is he's under the title as a player but he would then step in if I wasn't available right so uh, so there's three of us who are 
covering these roles. And the state, uh, the company manager said it's uh, with um, uh, great. Um, uh, he, he, he said something really like, he just started pontificating about. The producers have decided that when Mr. Jackman goes on vacation, uh, we're going to go dark for the week. And I looked at him like, well, that makes sense. But then why am I here? You know? Yeah. And he looked at me like, what? I said, I guess I'm here in case Hugh hurts his leg or loses his voice during the show. Oh, uh, yes, yes. And um, that's the moment I went upstairs to my fifth floor. <laughs> I was on the fifth floor of the uh, theater. The dressing room. The dressing room. And um, fourth floor, actually. And I went upstairs and I called my agent and I said, I think tomorrow I go on pager. So I wouldn't have to show up every day. Because it was right. clear to me that it, I was fine. I was, I was not going to ever go on. And I, I knew that was not a... It wasn't a... Have a high likelihood. Yeah, it, it wasn't new to, news to me. But after I got off the phone with my agent, I hear footsteps. <laughs> and it's Hugh running up the steps to my dressing room. And um, he says, Knight, I, I, yeah, you have to know, I'm following Hugh backstage to see his path, to see his track. You know, you know lower your head here because you know, this, this is a low-hanging ceiling. And he would just tell me everything, gave me so much. And he said, Knight, I'm so sorry. I had no idea they, they were going to do this. I, I, I feel horrible. I said, Hugh, I pray that when I get a, a, a starring role in a Broadway show, that they have to close the show when I go on vacation. Are you kidding, man? I'm, I'm having a great time. And he, he was the nicest guy. And at the last day of my contract, because I left before they closed, um, he brought me on stage and said, this is Kevin. He's as much a part of the cast as... Everybody on stage, it's off stage. So he brought you out. Brought me out. That's kind of amazing. He is amazing. He is amazing. Here's what I loved about his performance: the physicality of it, the sort of effeminate stuff. He looked like he was enjoying that stuff. Like not like he was. I have to put this on to play. Like he, there was something that felt true about it. There was joy in it. He was an. Actor. He seemed He's... to be having a great time. He, he is an actor. And I, I, I've actually I've seen him do some incredible roles on Broadway that I, I did not know he had it in him. I mean, I, I, this is now becoming the Hugh Jackman story. No, yeah. um, he's he was a, he's such a great lesson for me because um, I just got to study him. But the thing about Hugh and his approach with doing Peter, I mean, he doesn't look like Peter Allen. Right. He would never be cast as Peter Allen in a movie because he's not that look, you know. But. He's this, he's this leading man, but he took what Peter might have done, uh, like a, a, a nuance with his shoulder or his hand or his, you know, kick the leg up on the piano. He was having so much fun with it, and then as it became comfortable to do it, it sort of like became, it just became a, a throwaway. You know, he would like, do it fast. And, uh, it's just, I remember And there was one. none of, sometimes... No, there was no judgment on it. There's no judgment. There was actual joy. Yeah. Like, this is the best way to be. Not like, oh, I'm going to act a little gay. I don't know. There was something about well, his body language that I, as a gay person, I felt uh, connected to and I, you uh, know, the, warmth. The great thing toward. about Hugh is, um, and uh, he's such a stand-up guy. You know, he's, 
he loves everybody and he's he cares about everybody and he's not he doesn't have a mean bone in his body and I just know that um, like you said he it, it was okay he was playing it from a place of, of uh, empowerment and um, and love and and, and um, access, accessibility that's how you got to Peter that's how you got to Hugh through Peter that's how you got to Peter through Hugh through Peter it was just like it was this really weird um, uh, game to like, is he breaking the third wall, fourth wall? Is, is Peter now or is he playing Hugh playing Peter? It was very weird. But he did it with ease and, and grace. And there is nothing wrong with being gay. And there is nothing wrong with playing a gay part, which is something that I wanted to also be able to do in that forever. Yeah. Because that was, I just wanted to be. Yeah. And the gay characters are the normal people in this show in, hey. in After Forever, I think. And, um... Had you done, um, romantic scenes, sexual scenes like that before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Cinemax. Right films. on. I did three. I was a vampire. That's I exciting. did a girl's neck and did a lot of sucking. Um, I played identical twins in another movie called, um... Oh, I don't know. I, I, I killed my twin brother and took over his his life as a photographer and stuff with all his female uh, models. Uh, and then I also did a um, I did a movie called Green Plaid Shirt. Did you ever see? I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was years ago, in ninety six. Yeah, nineteen ninety six. And there was um, some gr- easy nudity, but I, I had no problem being naked, and I had no problem being involved in the seri- in the action of lovemaking or having quote-unquote sex kissing it's you know Mitchell and I just sort of like giggled like can you believe we're actually going to kiss in this scene now this is like we're going to kiss right I mean we just sort of laughed at it yeah but um it was fun and you uh, had another little dalliance in the show oh Jim yummy. Newman Jim yeah, he's Newman. very yummy Jim Newman who is um recently uh the cowboy in the village people that's what I was told. And now the village, it's defunct. It's like that whole tour fell apart. Uh, but Jim's great. What a great thing to, because when you grow up, you don't think you could actually be in the village people oh at some God. point. Oh my God, no. And he was in the fucking village people. He, they kept that tour going. Yes. Uh, but it's, I gotta tell you. Who Jim, was he? Was he the cowboy? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Jim is this, um, he's just, he's just that guy. You know, so again, he stepped into a role and he was cast you know, brilliantly. Um, uh, he was suggested to us because I wanted someone else to play it and he just couldn't get away from L.A. And uh, he, the guy said, why don't you just, why don't you call Jim? I went, that's really great. And there's that scene where, um, and there was a lot of things that changed by the time we had written it on the script, changed by the time we filmed it. Yeah. So um, there's a line where I say to him, um, I, I didn't recognize you, you're, you're dressed. And he didn't realize that a scene had been cut out earlier on because it had nothing to do with him <laughs> he goes yeah and it's just like a great reaction on the screen I thought it was always so funny to see him do that yeah so are you so he was great you've done some fun horror movies too mm-hmm. what's the craziest way you've been killed or killed someone I have never okay I never got killed in a slasher film that's re- that's something to say that's a that's a good feather in your cap the goody goody guy right um Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood, uh, Lark Park Lincoln played uh, the girl who has those telekinetic powers and she resurrects Jason. That was fun. That was a fun movie to do. Um, 
and um, subspecies is the two and three I did. The you do a lot of sequels. I, I do a lot of um, slasher film sequels. Slasher sequels. Yes, I do. And um, let's see, um, The Hills of Eyes Part Two. Uh, with uh, Wes Craven, my very first film. My very first. You see, you worked with Wes Craven. I did. That's cool. I got to interview him once. Did you, is he a neat guy? Yeah, I thought he was cool. Yeah, he's funny too. He, you, you wouldn't think he's funny. Yeah. But he he kept saying, "Yeah, we're in the desert. I think the store we should go shop at is Kmart." He just kept saying that. He kept saying that. Okay, we'll go to Kmart. That's what I remember of Wes. He was a great guy. What's the craziest thing you did in a horror movie? Are you? Um, are, is there like? Stunt stuff or blood packets or oh, fake um, things. Oh god, I haven't done a horror. Oh, well, okay. So um, I, I played an albino in Albino Farm. Okay, title character. Title character. One scene at the very end of the movie, and I played uh, this this preacher. We called him Preacher. The Rats are gone. You know, and I had. This white hair, these sunglasses, and it took them about seven hours to turn me into an albino. From yeah, you know. they'd have to do. And then I had to wear these contacts, and I remember I get down for my close up, and, I, and contact pops out. So you have to do it again. It's like all this is the things you don't, you know, see on see on the screen. But I always I have contacts that I wear a lot. And I always have, like, problems here and there with it. Wait a minute. I have What's going on? I have something here. It's from Friday the 13th. Where is it? Where is it? Where is oh, it? wow. Where is it? Uh, it's somewhere. I, think it. I just saw it. You just, you just jogged my memory. All right. Um, something, something here in the house. A souvenir. It's a souvenir. All right. We'll come back to it. But, you know, whenever I see fake contacts, even on Drag Race, I'm like, I, know. I always imagine all the problems Those that go with the them. Those are color of eyes and nature. Come on. Yeah. Or I always imagine them having contact problems because I have my share. Oh, uh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Nice glasses. The first time I think I ever saw you was, were you in this play, The End of the World Party? Yes. At the celebration? Yes, I was. We were just talking about that yeah, two days ago. I love that play. I, I saw it more than one of, once. It's another one of those shows that I had, the it was just... What year was that? 96. What? 96. Same year as... Uh, as and it was a, about a group of gay guys in Fire yeah. Island? Fire Island. And, um, and you were kind of the hot dog. Yeah. You were kind of like the... I was the, I was the house whore. Yeah. But we all were. Um, but I kept getting... Nick. Nick. I kept getting all the young guys to hang out with me. That was... That was there was a great line where the kid comes to me and says, Nick, how many guys do you think you've ever slept with? Do you remember this? And Maybe. Go, uh, uh, he's... I, I don't know. He goes, well, let's figure it out. Oh, okay. Um, I guess, you know, two, three a week for however many years. And they, they find a way to, you know, figure it out how many guys. And he comes up and he says, um, he, on the calculator, the kid goes, 2,369. And I look at him and I go, and to think I remember all their names. And it was a direction given to me by my friend Jeff Marcus. And I will never forget doing that. Betty Davis, the audience died. Every night, and I thought this is fun. This is just crazy fun out here. It felt like it ran for quite a while. Six months. That's amazing. Six I, I. Who else was in it? Jim J. Bullock. That's what Doug I thought. Doug Campos. Okay. Rick Coy. Uh, uh, Richard Hopberg. Okay. Michael. Michael. Yes. 
I'm, I'm older now. I know, it's been... Uh, Michael, 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 it's coming. It's all right. And then also this really beautiful young boy. Um, In the overalls, shorts. Yeah, overalls. We just call him overalls. Overalls. Shorts. They call him overalls. Yeah. Um, Michael, um, it's coming. Anyway. Um, they should revive that show. You know what? We tried to. What happened? Richard Hochberg had a great idea. He said on the 20th anniversary, we should redo that show as a... As a Fundraiser. Yeah, yeah stage we, reading or something. We, we all loved it. We all had the best time. And um, Latimer, Michael Latimer. Oh, yeah, uh, of course. That's great. He was great. And um, uh, Chuck Ramberg, a writer from... He writes TV stuff. He writes uh, stuff for uh, Frasier and right. Tears. And he's very, very successful. He just said, no, I think, I think End of the World Party's had its time. That bums me out, hey, man. It bummed me out too. I mean, you know, it's, it's his choice, uh, but right. Um, but Richard was Richard. We had so much fun. We had so much fun, and that's again, it was a perfect, you know, force. It was just everything was on point. Everything was working itself out. Everyone was having a great time, even though the world around us was falling apart. There was so much death and dying at that time. Right, because this was before protease inhibitors. Uh, it was just it was, and uh, Jim J. Bullock was losing. His partner was not well at the time. It was just, it was a really hard time. But we were having, we were holding together. And as Nina Foch, my first acting teacher here in Los Angeles, would say, leave your shit at the stage door and go in and have art. And that's what we would do. I love that. Yeah, she was great. She was great. Um, what has your journey been at, been like in relation to being out um, and, and sort of the changes that you've seen for, for what it means for actors over the years or... Well, you know, it's it's kind of funny. I, I I never felt I had to come out. Right. I just again, I was just being. Um, and um, <laughs> I was a little. At one point, I was a little nervous about the Hollywood game. I, not a little bit. I, I, for a long time, I was very nervous about the Hollywood game. And um, on Days of Our Lives, you know, I was um, playing a straight man married to a woman who had a child, two children. And, um, you know, at one point, I was very, very uh, nervous about something being said and something being done. And, and I turned to my manager at one point. I said, I'm just I'm nervous about anyone thinking I'm gay. And he said, Kevin, you're the only one who doesn't know you're gay. And I just sort of laughed. And I said, really? I guess, oh. And I looked at it and I thought... What am I worried about? I, I didn't go in anywhere compensating to be different anymore. I didn't have to put on something to pretend that I was straight, to pretend that I was an actor, and then put that on. It was, just, it was so, so much stuff in my head. But I did a play in New York right when I moved back there in 2003-ish, 2004. Two-person play, and it was called Loaded. And it was about two gay men who meet each other on the internet. And... It was a very heavy piece. It was very uh, depressing and dark, and, and um, everyone ends up crying at the end. <laughs> a lot of tears. And this guy had come to interview me um, for one of the rag magazines up there. And he basically said, so what's the difference between your character here in this show and Dr. Craig Winston? Well, let's see. One was a doctor, and one has no job. One's a bum. One is straight. One is gay. One is married. One is single. I mean, he asked me these questions. I went, 
This is my interview. And it was so stupid. It, it's, it's sort of like there was no point of view to the questions. So I, anyway. Uh, and then, um, uh, uh, oh. there's a writer who was writing for soap opera online at the time. And he came in and he said, so what is, um, uh, anything you don't want to talk about in this interview? I said, you know, bring it on. And the first question that came out of his mouth was, um, so what's it like to be an out gay actor doing gay roles? Is that the only kind of roles you do? And I went, oh, oh wait, wait, hold on. What are you asking me? Are you asking me if I'm gay? Are you asking me if I'm gay and out? Are you asking me if I do only gay? What is it? He, he looked at me like, what? And I said, listen, I'm a man first. That's what I always will be. I am someone's son, I'm someone's fa- uh, nephew, I'm someone's uncle, I'm someone's brother, I'm someone's friend, I'm someone's lover. These are slices of me. I said, I'm, I'm an actor, I'm, a, I'm an artist, I'm a teacher. All this is a slice of me. So, yes, I am gay. It's a slice of me. It doesn't define me. And I went on and on and on. That article came out and the kids that emailed me, they just, I... That they, they were inspired by it. Should have done it sooner. And every coming out day, it's rerun on the internet. It's really quite amazing. That's cool. Uh, yeah. You didn't sit down thinking, this is an interview where I'm going to talk about I didn't, No, no. And, then, and now my Wikipedia page, it says, Kevin Spiritus, da 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 and it's openly gay. Yeah, it's I like, saw that. Like, <laughs> okay. It doesn't matter. You know, I, I don't care. I, I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to sit in Hollywood anymore. As a, you know, when I grew up in... Uh, the 26 years, 26 years here, from 21 to however old that is, 47, it, it was drummed into our beings. Do not be caught out in a gay bar. Do not be right. at, a ba- uh, at, a, at a party. Do not be caught holding hands with a guy. I, all that stuff was do not, do not, do not. And it made us all feel so uh, hidden. And the energy that goes into keeping that up. Yes. Could be going into so many other things. Yeah, and at one point I finally had to kill that monster. And it was really... You know, it's it's funny. Um, Every time I would step into the character of a gay role, a gay thematic play or movie or anything, uh, I was always so afraid of it. Like, uh, End of the World Party was so... uh, confronting for me because I was going to be on stage kissing a guy. Yeah. And with a bunch of gay guys kissing guys. And it elevated my uh, visibility as a competent actor. That's how people were looking at. They were just looking at me being an actor. I was looking at it as something else. And um, same with Green Plaid Shirt. Um, our friend Barbara Deutsch, <laughs> she said... Um, She's a career coach, and I had asked her to read the script. I said, Bob, you got to read the script. I, I need to know if I should do this or not. She goes, why wouldn't you do it? I said, well, you know, it's gay thematic. I, you know, I'll be playing gay. It'll be there forever. What about my career? And she goes, what career? You don't have a career. Do the movie. And that gave me a career. It's so amazing. You think that movie opened oh, up oh, for you? Oh, people, uh, people came to see it. It was at Outfest. And everybody called, and everybody took meetings, and, and I started to work. I just, it wasn't only gay roles. So, for me, after forever... That's so nice to hear, because I feel like a lot of times, really good work that happens to have the gay niche sort of 
gets dismissed, you know, categorically sometimes. Yeah, I, you know, um, After Forever is is a is a story and a role that I just am being, and everyone is being around me, and us, and I feel so clean about it. I just I can't tell you what. Um, it, it wasn't a relief. It just, it was just a, a, an awakening of no pressure and just this is what we do. And, and um, you know, I was watching. There's a the very first uh, scene in uh, episode one. There's a there's a bit of kissing and rolling around in the sheets with Mr. Mitchell Anderson and myself. And um, it goes on a little bit longer than I would have even maybe edited, but it. It's necessary and it works and it's like, oh, this is what it is. And I'm right there. So. Right on. Good for you. When you killed that monster, what was the what was the emotion like? Relief? Or was it like, okay, let's see what happens? Uh, I think it was a little bit of both. I think, yeah. Um, again, if I'm focusing on... The one thing you don't want to have in your life, if you're focusing on it, that's all you're going to have. Right. The surest way to create your reality or your your uh, existence um, in a way that you don't want to create it is think about the thing you don't want, because you will put that into action. You will put it into a, a, a manifestation of some kind. Right. I think our words, I think our actions, I think our thoughts are so they're so important because we don't realize the power that they that they that they have. They contain. Uh, an energy. Uh, when you say, you're looking good, mister, you look good. You can already hear that. It's, uh, you look like, you know, yeah. that's horrible. I mean, all that energy, it just goes. So you have to choose how you're going to travel your path. And yeah, I the story think, you tell yourself. About yeah, your life. and I think for me, um, if I kept worrying about is gay going to stop me? Is being gay going to wreck a career? Is being gay the wrong thing? Is being gay open? Right. That's all I'm thinking about. Right. Hmm. I'm, I happen to be gay. Okay. That's over there. Park it. Go out in here and run, the, run in the park. Right. You know, go work out. Go audition. Go create a series. Yeah. You know? And that was, um, I, you know, again, it, it's, it, I can't believe that this is actually happening on April 24th. We are launching this on Amazon, and then it's crazy. So it's going to be on Amazon. Amazon. I love that. Yeah. It's I cool. Love that. I love that. I'm a and, Prime I, member. I mean, yes. We yeah. are all Prime. I think everyone is. They really got us on that. I know. <laughs> Who's going to buy it? No, yeah. but you know what? It'll, it'll be... It'll be... I just started watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel today on Amazon. No, it's a fantastic show. Who's in that? Um, I don't know the girl, Rachel something. Where do you find time to do all this? I don't. I just today was the first day I did, but it's supposed to be great. It's I've heard great things, and I really enjoyed the first one. It's Amy Sherman Palladino. Oh yeah, from uh, Gilmore Girls. Yeah, from Gilmore Girls. All right, you picked some questions from the observation deck. Some some of them actually, I think we've answered. Have you ever been starstruck? Yes, I was. Who are you starstruck? Elizabeth Taylor. Wow, that's a good one. I was waiting tables at the California Pizza Kitchen at the Beverly Center. Right. When it was there. Um, I had just come back from uh, 
having taken, I, I had just come back from shooting a movie. Right. And I went back, I said, I'm going to take that job back. I'm going to just keep working. And I, I thought, oh, idiot. Why am I here? My gosh. But I was being um, responsible. And yeah, you have to, sometimes you just got to need to get a check. You got to do it. And um, you have to have a, 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 a you have to have an, or, an organized pattern. You have to have something responsibly keeping you moving forward. I agree. And uh, a, a schedule. Yes. So anyway, I'm in my little California pizza kitchen, Kate, uh, you know, apron and my white jeans and my white shirt, and I all of a sudden hear the music, the music, music. <laughs> you know, it, all of a sudden, it's like all I heard was music, like the the rush of the all the talking. And I had just taken um, a drink order from my table, which was um, uh, what's his name. Uh, George Hamilton and that was the time he was seeing or hanging out with Liz Taylor and I thought what this new, it got so quiet in here and all of a sudden I see from one end of the restaurant from the back entrance which was the garage area I see this floating being she's walking it's Liz Taylor in that black hair with those white tufts and she was, she had just taken off all that weight. And she's in this red turtleneck in the middle of June, summer. And she's just, I, I said, oh my God, it's Liz Taylor. It's Liz Taylor at my table. And I literally, I froze. Because like, I, I wasn't, I didn't know who she was. I mean, I knew she was, but I wasn't like enamored. Right, you didn't know every movie about her. and stuff. Yeah. I, I, it's like, I knew she did these movies and I was, you know, I liked her acting, but I wasn't like, oh, this but all of a sudden, I went, oh, man, she is huge. She, the energy was like, bam. And I, I walked up to the table, and I said, I can't take your order. And she was very kind. And she looks at you, and these purple eyes are staring at you. Right. And that's what I just did, is stare back at her. And, of course, it got crowded, and she causes a crowd. You know, she causes all this. And... Um, I turned around to give George Hamilton his change back, and a waiter went right behind me without saying, Behind you! And I turned, and the beer went flying off his tray, right down Liz Taylor's back. Oh my gosh, you sp- you beer got spilled on Liz Taylor. Oh yeah. At least she, remember- she remembered you. No, now she's dead. Yeah, she's dead now. She That's a really good Starstruck story. It was, it was, it was it, I, I, it's, I, Meryl Streep was another one too, but I yeah. was working with her, but it was, anyway. Cool. Right, so, you produced a reading with her. I did, I did. By our friend Don Cummings. Don Cummings. Play. It was It was a great experience, and she was very kind. And, and you just, yeah. You don't want to meet these people on a social level because they're going to take away that mystique of what they're doing in their work. So um, I, had, I had to just really separate from it because I was just producing this reading, but she was just amazing. Amazing. What's the best thing to eat at CPK? <laughs> it was the Gorgonzola chicken fettuccine, but okay. they, don't have, they, don't, um, they don't have it anymore. Uh, I like the uh, I like the Thai chicken pizza. I was gonna say the Thai chicken, Thai pizza. chicken pizza, and and uh, they used to have the eggplant pizza too. Yeah, I, you know they changed. All right, they changed. Um, you talked about producing this reading, getting into producing. You 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 produced or worked on some Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. What's that been like for you? I remember when I first met you, you were working on. Um, Priscilla, Priscilla. Mm-hmm. yeah, Queen of the Desert. Um, you know, it. Uh, you know, I can't give you a, a 
an answer of what it's done or done for me or what it's like. I just know that um, you see something and you hear something. Well, first of all, Priscilla, I was up for a role. Right. I was up for a role for a very long time. And then one day I wasn't. And it broke my heart. But I had just been um, on, the, on the heels of, of producing this reading for Don Cummings. I, um, people saw me. And they got to know me, and they said, "I went to a meeting with you. Why don't you come in and work on this project with us?" And I go, "What does that mean?" Yeah, go out and raise money. So Alan Marks and Barbara Marks, uh, two of my dearest friends now, mentors, and really just sister and brother friends, kind of. Um, they taught me the ropes, and they brought me in on um, Gideon's Rainbow, the revival, and then they also uh, went on a couple other shows, uh, and then I was on Priscilla. And when I could not get the show, I could not get the role, and I knew that was going to be a great show. I don't know if you ever saw it. I did. I saw it in London. I love that show. And it, it talk about liberty and liberation and just love. Yeah, I was supposed to see it last night at the celebration, but they had to cancel the show. Why? I'm not sure. Oh, I bet you someone broke a heel. Yeah, maybe that happened. I have a friend in that show. It's interesting. But anyway, um, I just, I said I want to get in on that show. I want to raise money for that. I want that show to be here and not fall to the wayside. You know, you want to make it help make it happen. Yeah. All right, what What does that entail? A lot of phone calls, a lot of emails, oh, a lot of it, everything that you don't like about the business is probably what it entails. It's yeah. just it's a lot of hurry up and wait. It's a lot of um, kindly asking for things to be moved forward in a very sweet, you know, right. Moment. Um, not getting frustrated that the money is not here today. Uh, you know, same thing with the... With What's the, the best part of it? Hmm. When the show makes its money back, and you get some money back, too. Right. Um, What's know, it like when you go to the show, though? It's on Broadway, and you helped get it there, and you're feeling, there. It's a great feeling. It's a great feeling, because, um, obviously, I'm I'm connected to the show. I'm, I'm, I'm part of it. I feel that there's something that I... The story is arresting to me, or it's or it's a it's a beautiful story that I think is unique and, and it talks about things that has never been spoken of before or sung before, and you know it's art. You helped put that up there, or your actions helped those actions get made. Right, that actor is getting to sing that song because of just a little. It's again your actions, your thoughts, your words, your behavior, every single thing. It makes a big difference. It's like the. Um, the butterfly flaps its wings in Hawaii, but and there's a... People feel it over here in North Hollywood. They feel the North Hollywood earthquake, right? I love it. <laughs> what was the first concert you ever went to? Billy Joel! Wow. Always a woman to me. At the, it was at the arena in St. Louis, Missouri. Stephanie Novick and I went to go see Billy Joel. Was Stephanie a friend? Stephanie was my school, uh, friend in high school, and um, we're still friends to this day. She lives out here now. I love that. She was at the screening the other night. Did you love the concert? Oh my god! And then, and then we were living out here. I mean, she's moved out here. Uh, we were we were living out here, and he had um, what was the concert he did when he came out with um, uh, Uptown Girl, whatever that whatever that concert tour was. In what year? That An was. Innocent Man. An Innocent Man. Right. We went to see him again. He's here. Let's go see him. So. So you always have your Billy Joel. A Billy Joel. I was a big fan of Moving Out. That musical. Moving Out. I love that dance. Oh, you mean the show? Yes. Oh, yeah. The show is phenomenal. I loved it. I, yes. Okay, this is a good question. When was a time in your life when you were in the right place at the right time? Well, 
That's chorus line. Um, that what? Every time, every time I got a job on my own was the right time. It was, I created so much work because I just knew I had to get it done. So, uh, I knew that the thing about Days of Our Lives, stepping onto that set, um, acting as if I already belonged there as a regular. Because I knew that they weren't going to talk to me as a, as a day player. They were just going to make sure I had my lines memorized. Um, uh, right place, right time. Right place, right time. Um, there's a lot of those crossing points. I, I mean, they're all over. There, there's a right place at the right time. My, the most extraordinary right place at the right time is I have a friend out here. He's about 85 now, 86. Um, he's uh, one of my um, elders who I, I study with in um, uh, philosophy and, and mythology. And His name is Ken, and he was um, going to have dinner, uh, prepare dinner for me in Sierra Madre the next night. I'm dry, this is a few years ago. I'm driving, and I think, I better call Ken, and I better uh, check and see what time. And I called him the day before. And he answered the phone, and he was, oh, Ken? Ken? He was having a stroke. Right then, on the phone. Right then, on the phone. What did you do? I I said, hang on, Ken, hang on. And I called his partner, and I called an ambulance. And I went after the house. I stopped everything. But that was, that's a crossing point to me. You don't, you have no clue who you're going to run into on the street. You have no clue who's going to be on the subway. You know, third, third car, fourth car. No, I'll go to the fourth. Mm, I'll go to the fifth car. Oh, it doesn't have air conditioning. I'll go to the sixth. And there is the person you haven't seen in six years. You know, I can't believe, Dennis, what are you doing here? You know, it's that type of thing. Is he okay now? Oh, yes, he's alive. He's well. He's, he, uh, but I just, and, and he actually just had a mini stroke. But it was just, that's, to me, is um, that's uh, grace. Yeah. Do you feel lucky? Yeah, I don't. Oh, no, it's, here's what I want to say. I love you. The, no, the, the, the I, I read a lot of profiles and and I talk to a lot of people, and a lot of them talk about feeling lucky. And I sometimes wonder if that feeling is part of why they're successful. And I are you successful? I can't own. Are you successful? In some ways. I think in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, but maybe it's not because of luck. Right. No. In other words, I don't feel like... I don't feel that charmed. And I, and I sometimes wonder if that... The thing that makes people successful is the way of looking at themselves as lucky. Does that make sense? In other words, that's part of it. But see, I, you know, I think luck is... is um it's like it's like uh, being in the right place at the right time. You know, um, preparation meeting opportunity. That's luck, right? Uh, you know, they talk about ten thousand hours, or um, you, know, you, you. I think you, you are doing something so much of, so well of, so outrageously awesome of. It can't help but be seen as that, and then. People go, oh well, that's lucky. He's lucky. He's just over there. He's right. So I, I think it's an attitude. I think it's, it's just. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm unlucky. Right. So, I guess I'm lucky. There you go. That's a good way to look at it. 
Um, this other card that you picked. What was your lowest point professionally? Hmm. I did pick it. I thought I had it. I, um, I, I think it was right around, um, 1990. Well, yeah, so it was right around 1994, 95. I was, I could not get arrested. I could not, uh, I had been dropping my agents, um, and I just, you get into that swing and that, that lull, you're going to be unhappy. You're going to be depressed. Um, I, I, and then I don't know how I pulled myself out of it. I, I just, I think that there's a, there's a, a drive in me that says I was put here for some kind of reason, some kind of greatness. I, I can't tell you. I can't tell you why I know this, but I know After Forever is going to be special and received as such. I don't, I can't tell you why. It's just from the moment, we're still doing it. Everything, it just keeps presenting itself. It keeps unveiling. Again and again, we have something that comes up. I go, oh, that's perfect. We're going to do that. Oh, that's perfect. That, that actress isn't available. We'll do her. You know, right. It, there's people in that show that I needed to let. She's great, I needed to let. Uh, uh, Lenny Wolpe, um, Cherry, um, uh, Erin Cherry is her name. She's the African American girl. That's uh, Michael didn't audition her, but Michael um, uh, he had lunch with her, and he on the spot said, "I'm not going to have lunch with this other girl. You're the girl." And she got cast. You guys are great together. We you do, you do feel stuff. like you guys have a real friendship. Wasn't it fun? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. yeah I, the whole look I've got goosebumps I don't know why I just I, I, I'm so proud of it I'm so happy about it I'm so um, I'm so moved by it still I watch these scenes and I go oh I'm still I'm still emotionally connected because you're pouring your heart out yeah and um what was the hardest scene to do um probably a scene in episode uh two um something happens where um uh Shit gets real. The shit gets real. <laughs> the shit gets real a lot in that show. Yeah. And I think, um, and it, there's a scene on the street where um, I run into uh, Jason, and then there's also um, seven and eight. Those scenes are seven and eight. Um, uh, episode seven and eight. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Remember. Um, tell people again how they can see it, where they should watch for it, what to do. After Forever, the series, on Amazon Prime, Amazon Pay, Amazon, period, uh, on April 24th. April 24th. We launch it, and on April 25th, Michael Slate and I are going to do a question and answer on Facebook. That's exciting. Yeah, so... So is it exclusively on Amazon? Uh, right now it is. Then, uh, it, it, down it'll, the line, maybe I it'll... I think expand. we have a couple other things going on. Yeah. This is, um... This is exciting. People are going to be able to watch the show on Tuesday night. Many will be able to watch it Tuesday night. Hopefully right. the people who have been watching us post our hearts out. Um, and then Tuesday, you can ask questions. I mean, Wednesday, you can ask questions about how it got started, how it came to be. How it there you started. go. Uh, last question. What yes. do you hope people get from After Forever? Um, I hope they find... I hope they... I hope they... Can look inward and see that they are important to each and every person in their life. It's um, 
you know, it's very short, this, this little thing we call life. And as you get older, you get, you get more shit kicked out of you. So you better hold together. I'm <laughs> sneezing. sneezing on the truth. I know. It's so true that it made me sneeze. No, it's, um, I think it's, it's really, you know, uh, it's, it's a love story. You yeah. Know? And I think it's going to make a lot of people <clears throat> appreciate the love that they have and appreciate um, the, the desire for love. Yeah. I hope that's right. I hope they feel that. I, I just want them to feel inspired. It's beautiful. It's a great way to leave it. It's been so fun talking to you, Kevin. Congrats on the series. I look forward to seeing what comes of it and uh, other people seeing it and all the rest of it. It's been a delight. Thank you, my friend. Okay. Bye. Thanks again to Kevin Spiritus. Go check out his new web series, After Forever. Um, so this happened. My friend Doug had a, a birthday recently, and for his birthday... He got a group of folks together to go check out this place in Chatsworth, California, here in the valley, called Valley Relics. And it's a giant warehouse museum, I guess. It, it's, uh, and it's got all of this old signage from places in the San Fernando Valley. Like um, Henry's Tacos old sign is there, and like this giant Dairy Queen sign, and all kinds of cool valley memorabilia. Places that I remember going to uh, that are no longer there, and... Lots of neon. It's really cool. And the guy that runs it, um, I, I got his card and I'm going to try to get him on the podcast because he's got a really interesting story. And what he's preserved here is is kind of remarkable. It's like it's like walking back in time, but the time of your neighborhood, you know, the time that went down the street, you had this coffee shop or whatever. It's really cool. So, um, and apparently what we saw in this giant warehouse space is just one third of all the stuff that he has. So... Uh, he has the Tiffany Theater sign, which technically isn't in the Valley, but he said that that's where you used to go to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show if you were from the Valley, so it counts. But the Tiffany Theater was on Sunset Boulevard, and it was a it was like a 99-seat house. It was a small theater, but it was really nice. And I remember seeing shows there like Bouncers and all kinds of great stuff, and it's no longer there. But the sign is preserved at Valley Relics, and the sign is huge. The letters that spell Tiffany are giant, and I just can't remember them being that huge when it was on Sunset Boulevard. Anyway, these are the things you get to muse about when you go to the Valley Relics Museum, and it's free to go on Saturdays. Anyone can go. So um, I'm going to get more info from that when I interview the guy, so I'm, I'm excited to do that. Uh, that's it for this week's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you want, visit DennisAnyone.net. You can order your own um, copy of the Observation Deck. You can donate to my virtual tip jar, which helps me cover the expenses that come with doing the podcast. And you can see photos that go with some of the podcasts as well. So um, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. <laughs>